Ajnana-timirandhasya jnana-shalakaya chakshurin militam yena tasmai shri The parts of the whole living entity, that supreme living entity is the factual basis of affection for all. One who has forgotten the basic principle of his love for everything has only flickering love because he is in maya. The more one is affected by the principle of maya, the more he is detached from the basic principle of love. One cannot factually love anything unless he is fully developed in the loving service of the Lord. In the present verse, stress is given to focusing love upon the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The word kuryat is significant here. This means one must have it. It is just to stress that we must have more and more attachment to the principle of love. The influence of maya is experienced by the part and parcel spiritual entity, but it cannot influence the supersoul, the paramatma. The mayavadi philosophers accepting the influence of maya on the living entity want to become one with this paramatma. But because they have no actual love for paramatma, they remain ever entrapped by the influence of maya and are unable to approach the vicinity of paramatma. This inability is due to their lack of affection for the paramatma. A rich miser does not know how to utilize his wealth and therefore in spite of his being very rich, his miserly behavior keeps him everlastingly a poor man. On the other hand, a person who knows how to utilize wealth can quickly become a rich man, even with a small credit balance. The eyes and the sun are very intimately related because without sunlight the eyes are unable to see. But the other parts of the body being attached to the sun as a source of warmth take more advantage of the sun than do the eyes. Without possessing affection for the sun, the eyes cannot bear the rays of the sun. Or in other words, such eyes have no capacity to understand the ability of the sun's rays. Similarly, similarly the empiric philosophers, despite their theoretical knowledge of Brahman, cannot utilize the mercy of the supreme Brahman because they lack affection. So many impersonal philosophers remain everlastingly under the influence of Maya, because, although they indulge in theoretical knowledge of Brahman, they do not develop affection for Brahman, nor do they have any scope for development of affection because of their defective method. A devotee of the sun god, even though devoid of eyesight, can see the sun god as he is even from this planet, whereas one who is not a devotee of the sun cannot even bear the glaring sunlight. Similarly, by devotional service, even though one is not on the level of a jnani, one can see the personality of Godhead within himself due to his development of pure love. In all circumstances, one should try to develop love of Godhead, and that will solve all contending problems. Mm. Lord Vishnu speaking about himself, declaring himself to be the super-soul of every individual, and the Supreme Director. This is the general understanding of God by people in this world, of Him as the Supreme Director. However, He's not just the Supreme Director, and that in itself is a big enough position. But He Himself in this verse stresses, and Srila Prabhupada in his explanation of this verse stresses this point, that 
apart from being the supreme controller, he is also the dearest to everyone. This is uh, developed theology or actual theology. People who believe in God. There's this concept in the Western world that one should believe in God as the supreme controller, as the supreme punisher. If you don't do what he says, he'll bash you on the head and throw you into hell. So the idea is that one should believe in him as the supreme controller, the supreme object of fear. However, in Vaishnav theology, although faith is stressed, one should have faith, but more stress is placed on knowing, understanding, rather than simply believing. Belief is a prerequisite for knowledge. One cannot learn anything unless there's some initial faith. Just like some of you are studying here in university, is it? What are you? Are you studying in the university? What are you studying? Electrical, Electrical engineering. So you have come all the way from India, is it? Singapore. Singapore. All right. Even further. Well, it depends which way you come. It's about the same. It's about the same either way. Uh, with the belief that by coming here, you would learn about electrical engineering. If you didn't have faith in that, if you didn't, if you didn't have faith that it was even worth studying it, then you wouldn't even bother coming. So, initial faith. You do a lot of calculus. No, something. Okay. I often use this example because I remember the first time in our mathematics class when the teacher put this squiggly thing and with a whole bunch of X's and Y's and pluses and minus and parentheses and I thought, ooh, what's that? Didn't make, didn't, I didn't know anything about what it meant, but I had faith. I thought that, well, looks pretty difficult, but I'm sure the teacher will explain it, and then I'll be able to learn it, which I did and have subsequently forgotten, because, <laughs> because uh, it's a long time since I did any mathematics, any more than adding up my change when I go to a shop. So, uh, initial faith is required, but beyond belief, or, or, or simply belief, one should know, just like those of us present here who don't know what is calculus or how to solve calculus problems. Nevertheless, we believe that there is a science of mathematics and that at least some people know about it. We, don't, we ourselves may not know, but we only believe. But in Vaishnava understanding, simply to believe that there is God is not enough. One has to know him. Knowing means uh, there, there are different levels of knowing. One is to know his position, all about him. Bhagavat Tattva Vigyanam. This is described as 
the science of knowledge of God. And we find here in this purport, Srila Prabhupada elaborates on the purport, on, on the verse that's been spoken. Krishna is giving knowledge of himself. So that's one level of knowing. To Here Srila Prabhupada in the purport describes uh, in a philosophical, analytical manner <clears throat> about the nature of love of God. So you may think, well, love, it's, love is all feeling. But there's a uh, science of understanding that also. Because if one, uh, one should know who to love and how to love. Otherwise one cannot love properly. If one loves, uh, places one lo one's love in someone who is not interested in you, then you'll simply be frustrated. Or even if we place our love in someone who is interested, even if we're the the most greater than the, the greatest lovers in the history of the world, greater than Romeo and Juliet or anything, or whoever there may be, Nala and Damayanti, there are so many lovers in history. But uh, that love is necessarily imperfect because it's limited by at least by time. We say, I love you forever, but there comes a time when we all have to die. So it's possible even to love in a future life also. But, uh, but the nature of this material world is that people come together and they're separated again. Just like... Uh, twigs in a river they may come together and then as they go on down the river they hit a current or hit some rock and again they're separated so this is the nature of material relationships therefore love in this world can never be perfect it's a cause of great frustration they tend to love in this world and therefore we should understand who is the actual object of love. That is Krishna. Krishna can reciprocate in a manner that no other person can reciprocate. Because Krishna is unlimited and uh, Krishna has the ability to reciprocate with every living being exactly according to that living being's uh, desire. Krishna is the constitutional lover of everyone. We're all meant to love Krishna. It's like parts in a jigsaw puzzle. If you put it in the wrong place, then it's just, it might look like a piece of modern art or something like that. Modern art means generally everything is disordered, disharmonious. But in a jigsaw puzzle, every piece has its place, specific place. Sometimes in the jigsaw puzzle, you can place a piece in the wrong place and it'll fit in. But then the picture isn't, doesn't look right. So we all fit into Krishna's picture. If, we've, if we're put in the right place, then everything is harmonious. So we are all constitutionally part and parcel of Krishna. Uh, 
under his direction and our propensity to love is fully satisfied in Krishna. Krishna never dies. Krishna, uh, everyone in can say, my Krishna. Those who are in the pure consciousness, they will feel my Krishna. Because Krishna, although one person, he reciprocates with everyone differently. There are different categories. Shantaras, Dasyaras, Sakyaras, Vatsalyaras, Shringaras. There are different categories of of relationship with Krishna. But within those broad categories, because every single living being is different to every other. Just like in this world, everyone has a different thumbprint. So, uh, in spiritual existence also, everyone is different to everyone else. And Krishna reciprocates perfectly to fulfill the loving desire of every living being. And to every living being, they relate with Krishna at least somewhat differently to everyone else. So Krishna can perfectly reciprocate that love. Uh, we also have to know yeah, who, who is the proper object of love and how to reciprocate that love. How to love. Love means to serve. Love means to act in a way that the loved one is pleased. So we have to know what Krishna likes. He's a person. Krishna is not a, uh, a, a machine or a formula. Krishna is a person and there are certain things that he likes. He likes fresh flowers. Probably most people like fresh flowers. At least people in Satvagun. There may be some people who prefer fresh meat. Krishna doesn't like fresh meat. Krishna likes fresh flowers. And he has his personal preferences. He likes Tulasi flower very much. There are certain flowers he likes more than others. He's a person. He likes cows. He likes all living beings, but he particularly likes cows. You may say, well, why not buffalo? Why not goats? Well, he also keeps some buffaloes and goats, but his preference is for cows. Uh, why, why not dogs? Well, Krishna, he likes cows. That's his personal preference. So, we can please Krishna by pleasing the cows. Specifically, if we do so, uh, if we care for cows and uh, engage their milk and all their the milk and the urine and the stool can all be used in Krishna's service and Krishna is very pleased with that. So Krishna, we have to know what is pleasing to him. Krishna likes certain kinds of music. People like different kinds of music. There's certain kinds of music that Krishna likes. And there are other kinds of music in the lower modes of nature which is not suitable to be offered to Krishna. Most of what goes on in the name of music in the modern world, in the western world, is not suitable for Krishna. He doesn't like techno rock, for instance. Krishna likes uh, this uh, sadvik music. And specifically, Krishna likes to hear uh, his names, his many names, and the names of his devotees glorified. So Krishna is a person. We have to, and we have to know what are his personal likes and dislikes so that we can satisfy him. We may think 
that I will do what I like and offer that to Krishna. And within certain parameters that is acceptable. But that is not real love. One may think, well, I'm working, so uh, I'm earning money for myself, I enjoy myself, and I'll, I'll offer a little to Krishna. So Krishna is very kind. He will accept that, especially if it's not offered simply to increase one's prestige. Krishna doesn't like that. But Krishna will accept that. That's his kindness. But Krishna is most pleased when someone stops thinking what I want to do and simply thinks what does Krishna want me to do and acts in that manner. So this is love, the science of love. Love means feeling. But that feeling is not just feeling. It's We like to feel happy. We like to love others and we feel happy in doing so. But actual love is selfless. Uh, that we simply uh, serve others, serve the object of love for not for our own sake. Real love and the highest pleasure that ex- is experienced in love is uh, possible when one stops thinking about how I will be happy and simply thinks how the object of love will be happy. We see in uh, traditional Indian culture that a boy and girl, they're called boy and girl before they're married, even if nowadays the boy is 40 and the, and the girl is 33, they're called boy and because traditionally they were married before puberty, so they were boy and girl. So they, they never saw each other until the time of marriage. And so people in the West think, well, how, can you, how can you love someone if you, uh, if you don't even know them? But because all the, uh, the, the checking is done beforehand, and because the understanding of the principle of Grihastha Dharma, is there and the culture is in place. Therefore, it's uh, at least in traditional Indian culture, it was very natural that uh, people came together even without knowing each other and uh, they interacted with each other, husband and wife, not for the, not principally for the sake of sense enjoyment, but as a social role, as a duty, dharma to be fulfilled that the husband has certain responsibilities, the wife has certain responsibilities. They're not just husband and wife off on their own in some apartment somewhere, but they're members of a broader family and broader society. So by discharging these duties, then uh, together, uh, then naturally uh, affection grows between them. And we find that in Krishna consciousness also, 
that devotees, when they serve Krishna together, or in an army, when soldiers serve together, they take on some task, some difficult task. When they do that together, and they help each other to serve, then bonding is there. Friendship becomes strong. We talk a lot about these days in uh, within our ISKCON and within the broader secular society. We a lot of talk about relationships and we try to be nice to each other and smile at each other. But really relationships develop on the basis of serving together. And in, in the course of service when it's intense service just like in the in the army it's intense service and uh, the soldiers might be shouting at each other and this and that because of the intensity of the service there's no there's no uh, in the battle there's no you know, it's not a matter of smiling at each other and being nice to each other and being saying please and thank you but it's so it's so intense. You might, you might, your fellow soldier, you might just push him over. Anyway, well, wonder what's going on, and then then a, a missile floats over his head. You pushed him over to save his life, or so you shout at him because he's he's doing something. He's not careful enough, and you shout at him because if you don't shout at him, he's he's endangering himself and the rest of the platoon. So these kind of intense situations arise. We find among the Pandavas in the uh, Mahabharata battle that sometimes they, they would be even blaming each other and very strongly. They're very strong, not just physically, but uh, mentally very powerful people. But uh, that all that can be forgiven. And even the even in the, the, the give and take of, of rough dealings, they're their love for each other is deepened. So love is, uh, as conceived of in this world, is superficial. It's, uh, people mostly think, what I can get, how I can be happy. And therefore we find there's, uh, there's, no, there's no love. People, people, one reason there are so many, uh, or most of the world seems to have, various psychiatric problems. People, everyone's on their own. No one, because no one can give to other. People don't want to give themselves to others. Maybe they don't have trust in others. Uh, or they just, what can I get for myself? The whole society is based on going it alone, making, making a success of your life. Do what you can for yourself. But even on the material platform, no one is happy like that. So love means a giving, and Krishna is the uh, proper object of love by whom, by giving ourselves to whom fully, we will be fully satisfied in reciprocation. We'll never be disappointed. Krishna is the actual object of love and he's presenting himself here as such that I am the dear most person. Focus yourself on me. Our love, if placed anywhere else, 
cannot properly be requited. We see that uh, everyone has this propensity to love and uh, if they don't have a family then they'll keep a cat or a dog or they'll imagine some loving relationship or in frustration uh, feeling frustrated in, in the very quest for love they become uh, extremely envious toward others and torture others or themselves by taking intoxicants they try to forget their situation but the actual solution to all problems is to understand the root of all our problems and address that and the root of all our problems is simply that we have forgotten Krishna and that we are constitutionally meant for loving him and that whatever else we do in this world whatever it may be whatever great idea it is whatever brilliant philosophy it is whatever pharmaceutical it is we cannot be happy unless we love Krishna the simple example of the fish in the water is in of course fish is a miserable situation but at least the fish is uh, his natural situation is in the water and if we take the fish out of water then we can give him cigars and uh, a holiday on the beach he doesn't want to be on the beach we can give him any, even we can give him the most beautiful miss fish of the universe the most beautiful fish in the whole ocean the great the most beautiful film star fish there ever was but as long as he's out of the water he can't be can't be satisfied he's in an unnatural environment so in the same way as long as we are in the unnatural situation of trying to love anyone or anything other than krishna we cannot be satisfied so this simple lesson is given here that people are wrongly attached to the gross and subtle bodies but they should be attached to me only krishna says simple simple lesson but we find it very difficult to uh, absorb due to an improper understanding or the ambition to be separate from krishna the ambition ishvaro ham aham bhogi that i should, krishna says here i am the director Krishna is the supreme controller and the actual object of love for everyone but instead we want to be or take the position of the supreme controller and supreme enjoyer so by our by our false ego we're thinking i'm we have all these plans or dreams that i will be very great i'll be very wonderful so we're puffing ourselves up and then we face the world and who cares about us and then again we're smashed down 
So, high ambition and then frustration. This is material life. And then people become depressed. Oh, why aren't people noticing me? Me, 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 me. And everyone thinks me, 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 and no one cares for anyone else, and it's a miserable society. But simply, if everyone focuses on Krishna, then if we focus on Krishna, then only in that way can we actually care for others. Caring for the body, or even caring for the mind, is not really caring for anyone at all. It's simply a diversion from the actual care that should be there of how to help others to be Krishna conscious. So, Hare Krishna. I'll leave some time for questions. Simple points. I've heard recently that it wasn't. Yeah. I've heard recently that it wasn't necessary to love Krishna one hundred percent. That you heard recently that it's not necessary to love Krishna hundred percent. In order to go back to God, I put that rather. In order to go back to God, love Krishna like maybe eighty percent or something like that, and then that would be sufficient. And Krishna seeing our eighty percent sincerity. Krishna will overlook our... If we're 80% for Krishna and 20% for ourselves, Krishna will say, okay, all right, never mind, come anyway. You heard that. Hmm. Where did you hear it from? What's the authoritative or unauthoritative source? Not exactly sure who it was. Well, I heard from Srila Prabhupada, who almost certainly a greater authority than the anonymous speculator who you're referring to, that one has to be completely free from material desires to go back to Godhead. Because actually, uh, even if we have material desires, we ourselves won't be happy in the spiritual world. It's uh, from our, from the material mundane conditioned outlook, it's a it's a demanding situation. Nothing for ourselves. No thought of ourselves. 100% full dedication to Krishna with no holiday, no, no tea breaks, you know, just 24 hours all the time, fully absorbed in satisfying Krishna. Of course, that's blissful, but if we have some other idea, then we'll think, this is horrible. What am I doing here? Let me get back to Gainesville and go to McDonald's. You know, you don't even have McDonald's up here. So, so uh, yeah, we won't fit in. We have to take the training. If one is sincerely endeavoring, then, uh, but, if what you see, there, there, there is a difference between someone who's sincerely endeavoring for pure devotional service, but is hamstrung by residual material desires, which they remain in this subconsciousness and they're difficult to get rid of. But he's trying to serve Krishna and he's praying to Krishna like that. So, uh, Krishna helps. So, dadami buddhi yogam tam yena mamu payantite. Helps such a person to come to him. Uh, he may extend some special mercy to such a person. But if one is thinking that uh, I, yeah, I'll do some service to Krishna, but I have my own program on the side. That's a different attitude. So, 
it may be that one has some uh, residual contamination, but often what happens is Krishna arranges to burn that out at the last stage of life so that people get some serious disease or so so they're faced with that intense situation that now I have to fully concentrate on Krishna. Or there are different dispensations. One may go to the holy dham or the, the devotees, they help. They, they help the, the dying devotee. Krishna may help in various ways. But it's this, we shouldn't uh, de- presume that I deserve this. That's the old example of the honorary degree. The honorary degree is rarely awarded if we think, I'll, uh, yeah, I'm, I'll get an honorary degree. But one gets, someone who's awarded an honorary degree gets it because he's, they've done more than the average graduate, far more in that field, even without the uh, without enrolling in the course, they've they've achieved in that field to such an extent that a, a degree for them is is uh, it's an honor to the university to offer a degree to such a person rather than to the person to get it. If someone, even without going to dancing school, is the world's greatest dancer, it's no uh, it's no it's no uh, honor to give them a degree, but it's just a, like a recognition which it's actually not required because they're, they're already perfect. So we should be careful of this kind of preaching that it's not necessary to be fully Krishna conscious. It may, it, there may be cases where Krishna, out of his kindness, overlooks some residual contamination. But if we make a philosophy out of it, then... Uh, the whole endeavor for pure devotional service becomes compromised. And then no one goes back to Godhead because in the name of bhakti, uh, we're cultivating something else. Which is, why, which is why we'll find in Prabhupada's books and all the shastras, it's extremely intense and it seems to be extremely heavy. It is. I mean, any... any Line we read of Prabhupada's books, it's it's very heavy. It's just, without devotional service, I mean, of course there are some allowances. Krishna himself in Bhagavad Gita says, if you can't fully fix the mind on me, then follow the principles of bhakti yoga. And if you can't do that, then work for me. There's some allowances, but the the stress is very much that we have to, just like we were this verse you were reading this. Uh, Bhagavatam is full of such verses that our life is simply being spoiled moment by moment unless we utilize time for hearing about Krishna. It's this mood which will send us back to Godhead, not that, well, you know, just do whatever you like and, uh, you know, from time to time put a dollar in the box. That's also better than nothing, but that's not going to take us back to God. Thank you very much, Ramesh, for a great class. On the question of attachment, some people say that, of course, we understand philosophically to become attached to Krishna means to become attached to the spiritual master, through the agency of the spiritual master, and by his mercy we can get attachment to Krishna. 
So Srila Prabhupada was, uh, is on such a superior level to his disciples, his followers. And some people say we should just turn our attachment to Srila Prabhupada and that way we'll become more Krishna conscious. I just wonder if you could comment on that. Love me, love We should just be the proposition, we should just become attached to Srila Prabhupada and not to his followers. Well, Srila Prabhupada often gave the example, love me, love my dog. It's so that's, that goes on, that idea. It's, it's something like, uh, I love Krishna, but I hate those cows. <laughs> I never like cows much. Well, Krishna won't be pleased. So, uh, yeah, if, if we love Srila Prabhupada, and we, it, it's, it's like this, uh, this Protestant idea. It's me and, me and Jesus, and forget everyone else. I don't need anyone else. So it's me and Prabhupada, and you know, forget everyone else. And no one else is of any importance. So Prabhupada himself never, never taught like that. When it's presented as a virtue, I'm attached to Prabhupada. Well, again, uh, be attached to Prabhupada, but again, we should be attached to Prabhupada in the way that Prabhupada wants us to be attached to him. We could say me and Krishna for that matter. You know, forget Radha and the gopis and everything. There are this Chandravali Bhav, that it's me and Krishna, but the Gorya Vaishnavas don't accept that. We have to serve Radha. And actually not even serve Radha, to serve the servants of Radha. And in this way, we can offer our love to Krishna. If we just say, okay, Krishna, I'm here. And you know, because still when we were that Radha, when I'm here, we can't even get anywhere near the spiritual world with such an attitude. I mean, uh, when I joined ISKCON, I was a disciple of Prabhupada, but there was no question of me just like walking into Prabhupada's room and saying, well, Prabhupada, I'm here, you know, and, you know, it's, it's a society. Prabhupada's created a society for Krishna consciousness so that we can avail of the association of devotees. And that's accepted. Every, everyone accepts that Srila Prabhupada is... Uh, uh, not just another guru. <laughs> Jain Veda Maharaj wrote a uh, Vyasa Puja offering some years ago called Not Just Another Guru. But on the other hand, Srila Prabhupada said that we should become like him. No one's going to become like him in all respects, but in terms of, in terms of uh, dedication and service to Krishna, we should attempt to follow that. And if no one's doing that, or no one's able to do that, or everyone else missed it, then uh, that's equivalent to saying that, well, Prabhupada failed. <laughs> and practically speaking, we see that we do need guides even to understand Prabhupada's teachings, because so many people say so many different things about what Prabhupada's teachings are. Just like in this, in his purport, Srila Prabhupada presents a philosophical understanding of the principles of love 
here in this purport. So in the same way, um, we do require guides to understand what Prabhupada taught. For instance, Prabhupada taught uh, different things at different times in different places and to different people. Uh, one controversial issue is whether women should be addressed as Prabhu or Mataji. Prabhupada did at one point, it seems, he addressed as Prabhu, but in his later pastimes he didn't, his later pastimes in this world, and instructed that they should be addressed as Mother. So, which do you take? Well, you, different gurus will say different things, <laughs> according to their understanding. Uh, I, this principle is not like, you know, whether we call them Prabhu or Mother, is not likely to affect our chances of going back to Godhead that much. <laughs> uh, but it might affect the uh, construction of the Varnashram principles, which Srila Prabhupada uh, saw as necessary, which Krishna sees as necessary, which is why he gave the Varnashram principles, which uh, are necessary for almost everyone in this world, unless they're on the platform of Gorky Shodas Babaji, or like, who, who doesn't need to follow such principles. So, yeah, there are other, there are many points also. I mean, the, the, the different people read Prabhupada's books, and some say, oh, just see. Uh, no one falls from the spiritual world. And someone else will read Proverbs and say, oh, just see, they do fall from the spiritual world. So who will... For a newcomer, all these can be uh, bewildering. So then one should accept some guide and try to understand, just like Arjuna. From Bhagavad Gita, we understand that Arjuna, he had... For Krishna to be able to speak all those concepts to Arjuna means that Arjuna already had a lot of Vedic knowledge. Otherwise, to use terms like Atma, Brahma, Dharma, it wasn't that Arjuna had just, he just, uh, he was like a toddler and didn't understand anything. He already had a basic understanding of all these different concepts. But he, how to, how it all fitted together in his life, it all the understanding that he'd had, it all just suddenly fell to pieces. Because how on earth did I get in this situation the world, see, there's something wrong with the world that I'm in a situation where I have to fight to try and kill my gurus, Bhishma and Drona especially. So his, all his understanding just fell to pieces. And then Krishna explained it and put it all into place so that Arjuna could understand it properly. So uh, Arjuna had a general idea, but uh, he had some uh, misconception also. So uh, and Krishna explained in detail how all the different points fit together and what is the actual meaning that Arjuna's understanding of dharma was good. I mean, what Arjuna's proposal not to fight was actually uh, those arguments under normal circumstances would have been very compelling arguments and probably almost anyone would agree with them. In fact, when we do read Bhagavad Gita and we go through the first chapter, it seems like... Phew, Arjuna is right. But then Krishna explained how Arjuna's understanding, although apparently right, was completely off the mark. It seemed to be right. So, and he, the point is that he explained it. 
He didn't just say, look, Arjuna. Well, at the beginning he said, yes, you're an idiot. You, you got it all wrong. You, 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 you have a lot of knowledge, but no proper understanding. Uh, but then he explained to Arjuna, step by step, what is the actual and proper understanding. How? So in the same way, uh, people may uh, read, and uh, but we, we don't read in a va- even if we just read, we don't read in a vacuum. We we have our previous ideas, conceptions, misconceptions. We hear different things from different people. Even within our Krishna conscious movement, we hear different things. Someone may come up to us and say, uh, "It's okay to be eighty percent." free of material, Krishna conscious, and you can keep 20% material desire. Why? This world is great. Why not enjoy it on the way back to Godhead? People may come with various different ideas. And uh, the point of having a guru, one of the points is uh, not just to stick his photo on a wall and wave some incense at it, but to uh, actually understand by hearing and uh, different points explained so that we can get a clear understanding by which we can progress on the path back to Godhead. Shall we finish? One more brief question. The question may be brief, but the answer (laughs) is not necessarily brief. We have a slew of hands going up here. Okay, whoever yells first. You got the mic. Can you understand? We were talking about how if we don't have appreciation of love for all the things associated with Krishna, we have all the associates, then it's not that we're actually loving Krishna. And it was, I was wondering if it's better to think of it as, in that sense, like um, they were reviving the dormant love more than just. Um, trying to, like in the vacuum, to take out our old desires and place these new ones there, like, it's replacing it, rather it's a revival, and that we're trying to love Krishna and revive that, and all of the, and that love creates association with some of the I'm sorry, I didn't understand the question. Will, it, will the love for all Krishna's associates and the cows and things associated come naturally? Come naturally if we love Krishna. Well, the point is that Krishna is not alone. Krishna is always with his associates. So, serving Krishna, developing love for Krishna, that's also not done in a vacuum. We serve Krishna by serving his devotees. We remember Krishna by remembering Krishna in his pastimes. In his pastimes, there are so many devotees. So, it's not that we love Krishna and then love for Krishna's associates comes afterwards, but it all comes together. Actually, by the mercy of the devotees, we get entrance into service to Krishna. Hare Krishna. Stretch time. Stretching time. Well, you can't. <laughs>